The reading this morning can be found in John chapter 7, and we're starting at verse 25, and can be found on page 1071 on the Bibles in front of you. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Thank you, Susan. I can just encourage you to keep your Bibles open. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this morning. 
We thank you for John and this wonderful gospel and the message it brings to us. We thank you particularly for this passage and may we know the reality of that living water in our own lives by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Let me just say, uh, I had a couple of issues with my throat this morning. I'm feeling very fit and healthy, uh, but it was like a frog was living down there and I had to stop and drink water, so I'm well watered and I've got some water, so if I stop, I'm okay. Uh, I had numerous people from 8 o'clock wave packets of lozenges at me in the crowd. (laughs) They're a great group. I think they all went to Boy Scouts or Girl Guide. They come prepared every week. (laughs) I wonder what's the best invitation that you've ever had? What's the best invitation that you've ever had? Um, I hope you get invited to things. Um, Now, once you get to know me for a while, you'll know I'm a sport tragic. Uh, My wife reckons she only worked that out after we got married, not before. Don't know how that was in fact possible. I think it was just because I was so dazzled by her. (laughs) And then the reality came out on the honeymoon. It was the Ashes tour when Steve Waugh got three centuries. We went to Queensland, State of Origin was on. Anyway, that didn't go down well, I discovered. (laughs) I got invited, and I'm not just a sports tragic, I'm in particular Wallabies tragic, and let me say, it's been fairly tragic of late. (laughs) And you've got to be a real true believer to go out to the All Blacks games, uh, it's worth saying. And I did some stats. Um, Over the last 10 years, or last 12 years, this is leading up to 2015, I was invited out to... Uh, see the Bledisloe Cup game by one of the people here. It was very kind of them. Uh, And I worked out in the 10 years preceding that game, uh, they played 23 times uh, against the All Blacks. There's ANZ Stadium, me getting ready for the game. Uh, They had won twice (laughs) out of 23 games. They'd drawn twice, they'd lost 19 times. And there's some long streaks there where there's no joy. And so I went out that night with my son and a few others and uh, those invited with, and there was a sense of foreboding worry. And let me just say, by the end of the night, it was the greatest night I'd ever been to. And, uh, you know, you just wanted to text message all your Kiwi friends that night. Because <laughs> it just doesn't happen that much. And you'd always see them on Sunday morning and they'd just rub it in. And invites are wonderful. But I think when we think of invitations, uh, we tend to think of events. And there's all sorts of things you can get invited to, and they might not be as, you know, significant as an All Blacks, uh, all Blacks win, an All Blacks loss, um, for those who are Wallabies fans. It could just be a coffee, and that can be a very significant thing to be invited to. But we tend to think of being invited to stuff. Today, we're going to look at probably one of the great invitations in John's Gospel. And it's not an invitation to an event. It's actually to a new life. And it's the most wonderful life. And I want to say as we start out this morning, uh, if you've come in here and you're wondering, is there any hope for me? Is there any life spiritually? Because I'm not feeling it at the moment. You've come to the right place and you've come to the right passage because today we're going to look at Jesus' great invitation to all who will come to him that he offers them life. Now, let's have a look at the uh, chapter there, and let me just read the key verses that I'm going to look at. It's from chapter 7, and it's page 1071, and I'm going to read the three key verses. On the screen, I've got the key part, which is verse 37, 
And John records on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, in other words, he's announcing it to everyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John, the apostle then adds, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. It's a wonderful invitation. It's an invitation to life itself, spiritual life, to a relationship with God that transforms you and gives you life. Now, just to kind of set the scene before we look at those verses in particular, uh, we're just going to make a few observations about this chapter in particular. Now, last week we started the chapter and we saw there was a lot of division and differences in how people were responding to Jesus. And I looked in particular at what it meant to believe and what faith was. We're not going to go and look at the divisions and the responses so much today. I want to look particularly just at these verses. But it's worth noting two things. We saw last week that the context was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, for those who are not familiar with the Old Testament, uh, if you weren't here last year at Leviticus when we did uh, that series, and in particular when I spoke on the feasts, there are seven feasts that Israel had in the Old Testament. Uh, one was a weekly one called the Sabbath, uh, and then there were six annual ones. And the Tabernacle Feast was the last in the calendar year. It started with the Passover, uh, typically at the beginning of spring, and it ended in autumn time, which is also harvest time. And this feast uh, was when there was a lot of joy, the harvest season's happening, and there's a great sense of celebration in God's provision. But in particular, two themes dominated. And the feast had disappeared in the time of Israel. It was reappointed by Nehemiah. If you want to read up some of the history, Nehemiah 8 and 9. But two main themes were these, water and light. Uh, water, from Exodus 17, where Moses struck the rock and God provided water for them. And this continued on as they travelled through the desert to the promised land. And so they remembered that God was a providing God for them and he quenched their thirst. Secondly, he guided them with a cloud by day and the fire of light by night. And so when you get to Jesus' time, two big themes are celebrated, water and light. And they had special ceremonies that went on around these two themes of water and light. And when you come to John, it's interesting, we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, and John chapter 7, Jesus stands up and speaks about water. Now it's interesting, there's the famous and well-loved story about the woman caught in adultery, which is sandwiched between. Uh, it's actually not in the narrative flow. If you have a look, it's been kind of inserted in there later. Uh, the next thing Jesus talks about is light. And so he says here, really, I've come to fulfill all your hopes and speaks to them in these, uh, these terms, water and light. We're going to look just today about light. But the other context is division amongst the people. And there's nothing different from today in terms of people's responses to Jesus as what took place then. And I don't want to spend a lot of detail, but it's just worth noting the different sorts of responses. In verse 25 and 26, there were people confused. 
It's the same today. There are people who are confused about Jesus. In verse 27, there are some who are unbelieving. It's the same today. There are people who are unbelieving. Uh, In verse 30, there's some who are aggressive uh, in the crowd. They want to seize Jesus. It's the same today. There are people who are aggressive against Christians and they don't want the Christian faith being propagated in the Australian country. In verse 31, we see there's some sort of belief there. Some think maybe he is the Messiah. And there may be people here today who are wondering that question. Uh, You move on, verse 32, the Pharisees, the uh, priests, they're trying to arrest him. Uh, Verse 35, you just have outright confusion. And so you've got this very different, confused, divided response to Jesus when he stands up to speak. And then what follows after that is more ongoing division. And I think in one of the funniest episodes in this whole gospel, uh, you see what happens with uh, the temple guards. Now, I don't know if you picked it up. But the Pharisees and the chief priests, who normally actually were opposed to each other, they've got a common enemy, enemy that unites them together, and they get the temple guards, who are kind of like uh, the state police for Jerusalem, to go and arrest Jesus. And they were formidable people. And so they're told, go and arrest him. And you can just imagine these temple guards, yeah, yeah, we're going to go and arrest him. And off they go, yeah, yeah, this is going to be too hard. And then one of them says, oh, can we just stop for a moment and have a listen? <laughs> oh, okay. And they just listen and listen. and Man, he's pretty good. <laughs> and they literally just stood there listening, not arresting. And they think, wow, that was fantastic. And then he's gone. Oh, and they walk back. <laughs> and the Pharisees go, where is he? Oh, he was really good to listen to. <laughs> it's incredible. But in the middle of it, You get this invitation. And Jesus stands up and says these words. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now, thirst is one of the universal human experiences. Um, All of us get thirsty all the time. It's just the nature of our biology. 60% of our bodies is water. Uh, Water transmits all the good stuff through our body, so our bodies function. It also helps take the bad stuff out, if I can put it in very simple terms. Uh, You can survive without food, literally for weeks. I mean, you will die eventually. You can only survive days without water. And if it's hot, even less. It is one of the essential parts, biologically, of our bodies. And Jesus uses this biological analogy of thirsting to speak of the reality of what takes place when people come to him. And he knows that in front of him are people who are very confused, who are against him, who think maybe he is the one. And he's not afraid, he's not put off, not deterred. He just looks at them and says, actually, I am the one. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Now, it's interesting when you think about the human condition. Solomon, when reflecting on the human condition under God, wrote these famous words. He said, this is God. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Uh, And what I take that to mean is this. There's a sense of which... We're not just, not just a sense, but we are made to worship. And we know intuitively, we know deep down that there is something more than just the physical in this world. 
that there is something out there beyond us, that there is a, a life that goes beyond the grave. But we can't quite work it out. Now, I'll give you an interesting statistic. Um, the Wind Gallup International Poll in 2012 surveyed people's beliefs. Only 10% of people were convinced atheists. Now, you would have with that a number of people, typically it's about 50%, who say, yes, there's some sort of God, and there'll be others who are more agnostic. But I want to give you a concrete expression of the reality that most people actually believe what Solomon said about the human condition, that we know there's something out there that we, we thirst for. Uh, we want a sense of meaning and connection with something that is greater than ourselves. I go to more funerals than most people. I'm conducting them or I'm attending them. And I can tell you what I very, very rarely hear, and I have not heard it for many, many years. Well, this person is dead and buried and that's it. Now, I know that in coming to a church funeral, they're seeking out people of faith. And there will be funerals like this. But even at secular gatherings for funerals, you typically always hear this comment. I know they're up there looking down on us. They'll make some comment to say that they hope that they're in a better place. I don't think you ever hear people say, well, they're gone and the worms are eating them. Because that's the reality of atheism and material evolutionary thinking. You see, intuitively when you push people at critical points, they go, there must be something out there. And you see, Jesus speaks into that experience of life. And he says, yeah, there is, and I'm it. And you see, we don't just want to know that there is a God there. We actually want to have meaning and purpose in our life. And Jesus actually connects both of those together. He is God, and he gives life. And he invites people to come to him. And the wonderful news is this. And this is the news of the gospel. It's not, well, get your life cleaned up and come. Because I only take people who meet a certain standard. He says, no, whoever believes in me, just come. It's got nothing to do with our religious heritage, our community service, our merit points that we think we might earn before God. Actually, none of that counts. Because actually none of us are worthy. No one's good enough. It's because of what Jesus will do on the cross for us that we celebrate next week and in his resurrection that we can be connected with God. It's on the basis of his merit that we come to the Father. And he says, it's to whoever who believes. And I've been reading a book about an incredible church in New York. It's called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. I don't know if you've heard of it. Jim Simbal is the pastor. Incredible prayer ministry. They went into a church when all the other churches were leaving town. He was a white guy and it was an area where there was crime, not the nicest place to live, and when others were leaving, he went. And down the road from the church is a place called the Salt Mines. It's literally where they would store the salt for winter uh, to keep the roads uh, usable when snow comes. And it was where the male prostitutes would hang out. And they started a ministry there to go and feed these people and love them and seek to tell them that there is a God who loved them 
and about the Lord Jesus. And finally, one day on a Tuesday night, and they used to have a prayer, they still do have their prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, um, one of the guys turned up. Um, and that's him there, Sarah. He was a transvestite. And this group, about 10 of them, walked into the prayer meeting. Can you imagine what that would be like? And they just welcomed him. And Sarah finally came to faith over a number of weeks and was completely transformed. And that's him on the right uh, with his birth name, Ricardo. Now, he died of HIV AIDS a number of years later, having married and moved to Texas. But I bring you that story this morning because, you see, I think sometimes we can think there are people who are just too far away. And you may have even thought that yourself. You're too far away. You've made too many mistakes. And I don't know what it is. But Jesus' invitation says this. You know what? There's no one too far away. It's for the one who's got ears to hear that I love them and that I died for them. And I invite them to come. And whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow. And it's this imagery of being replenished and nourished and finding new life. And that's the message of the gospel. We just need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our belief in him as our Lord and our Saviour. And if you want a a stark example of the reality of this and the power of this, look no further than the screen and this man who once was Sarah, who actually was Ricardo and was redeemed through the Lord Jesus. Because as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And I think the beautiful thing about that photo there is not just that he's different, but he's there in church praising God. And streams of living water were flowing in his life. As the scripture says, Jesus is saying, I'm here fulfilling all the hopes of the people of God in the Old Testament. And I could talk about the institutions that he fulfills when it says the scripture says. Uh, There's a sense of which he fulfills all the Old Testament institutions. I could talk about the events that he fulfills. I'm just going to mention one verse that he fulfills in terms of prophetic scripture. Uh, It's from Isaiah 44. And Isaiah said this, um, and he speaks of the day when God is going to come and do a new work. He said, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And the imagery there is of God coming to renew his people in the land and of pouring water out. And then he says, and the explanatory verse follows, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Uh, And this is the great news of the gospel. He comes and pours his blessing out by his Holy Spirit. And John helpfully uh, gives us this explanation note in the following verse when he says, and this is the Apostle John adding kind of a footnote, by this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And so what John is saying, explaining, and what Jesus is inviting us to is to come and receive life in his name and to be filled with his Spirit, his Holy Spirit. And I just want to stop and just get us to think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit today. Because it's wonderful. And the reality is, God wants us to come to him and know that we are his children 
And he wants to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can have that experience of having our thirst quenched. When you read through the New Testament, the Holy Spirit performs numerous functions to help us, to assist us, and to fill us with the life of God. It literally is. uh, He is. He is the Spirit of Jesus and he's the Spirit of Father. And he's talked about in those different ways through the New Testament. And so when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, it literally is the Father and the Son coming to you and filling you so that you can be a part of them. And the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 1, gives us a power to serve him in the world. The apostles had to wait and the church had to wait until he came. Galatians 5.16, famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says there, you, needed to, you need to be guided by him and led by him. And you see, the Spirit does, doesn't just give us power. He transforms us and he guides us. John chapter 14, later on in this book, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, which is the counsellor. That's a wonderful description of him because he comes beside us to be our comforter. You see, this is the experience of being a Christian. You are never alone in the world. That's why Jesus can say, in the Great Commission, lo, I am with you always, because his spirit is with us, guiding us, comforting us. Uh, Romans chapter 5 speaks of hope and strength when we're suffering. How are we given that hope and strength? It's by the Holy Spirit. And so if you're going through a tough time, the Holy Spirit can minister to our hearts and souls to give us strength. Romans 14, he says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, it's about peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, there's a joy that's given that transcends circumstances and enables us to keep going and fills our hearts with joy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he gives us gifts and abilities to serve him in ministry. Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Uh, This word comes alive when you've been filled by the Holy Spirit. And let me say, the normal experience of being a Christian is actually having the Holy Spirit. It's not like kind of a second stage. It actually is to be a Christian, is to have the Holy Spirit. And there's no doubt, sometimes you can feel that the Holy Spirit is not as rich in your life as perhaps in past times. Well, I would say we need to keep coming to him to be filled in an ongoing fashion. But let me just stop and just think about one verse as we finish. Romans 8, verse 14 and 15 says these words. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry over Father. And this is the wonderful news. And this is the reality of the invitation Jesus is giving to the world. If we'll come to him and believe in him, he will fill us with his spirit. And that spirit enters our life and helps us to know that we're not a slave, we're not to live in fear, but it actually testifies, as one version says, to our spirit that we are children of God. And so when we cry out, Father, Paul is saying his spirit will testify to our spirit. It's that inner sense and experience that you're his and you know him. 
and you belong to him. And I want to say this, God the Father and God the Son absolutely want you to know him. And they want you to have confidence that you're his children. And they've given you their spirit to know that and to testify to your spirit that you are loved and you belong and you have assurance of eternal life and sins forgiven. I want to simply ask us this morning, do you want to experience that life, that rich, full life where rivers of water flow abundantly? Do you want that life? Then look to Jesus and call upon him and place your belief in him and pray, dear Lord Jesus, and I say Lord because he is Lord, Fill me with your presence, with your spirit. Friends, we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. And there is no joy by ourselves. It is experienced, it is lived in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. I'm going to stop now. And I'm going to give us a time to cry. Cry to be quiet. You might be crying, I don't know, that's okay, we're in church, we're with friends. Um, and I want you to pray how, in response to how God's speaking to you. I'm going to pray for all of us. But as we conclude the service, if people would like prayer personally for the work of the Holy Spirit in their life and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come forward. Love to pray with you. Prayer team would love to pray with you. Well, let's just be quiet for a moment. And I'm just going to allow time for people to pray personally. And I'm going to pray for all of us. And then we'll close. And I'm happy to pray for individuals. Let's pray. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord Jesus, we hear your invitation today and we come to you in faith. Fill us afresh with your powerful, life-giving Holy Spirit. Strengthen our faith. Give life to our hearts. Give us power to serve. We pray for joy in knowing you, guidance for life, wisdom for difficult circumstances. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, we pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we conclude the service, as I said, I'm going to invite people to come forward for prayer. Let me just say, if you have no assurance that you know God, I invite you to come to him this day. That's the invitation, come and believe and he will fill you with his spirit. 
you may have strayed from God. And you know that deep in your heart. And you need to come back to him today. I invite you to come to the Lord Jesus and put your belief and trust in him and be filled again with his Holy Spirit. You may be feeling spiritually empty. And you need the Spirit of God to fill you afresh and give you new life, new courage, new hope for the difficulties you face. I invite you to come forward for prayer that the Lord Jesus will fill you with his Spirit and give you that hope, strength and courage and wisdom that you need. Whatever your circumstances that you face, if you need more of the Spirit of God this morning, I invite you to come. Let's stand and sing. It's our collection song as the baskets go round for the Connect cards as well. At the end of the service, if you'd like to come forward for prayer, you can come forward earlier if you like. Uh, Please do come forward.